Good morning. Are y'all glad to be here? Macy Plunk, where's your Bible? Where? Let me see it. Oh, it's on your phone. Okay. So good that you're here. Did you, uh, did any of y'all get the little bulletin with the sermon notes on it? There's one. If you have one of those, hold them up. Would you hold those up? No, not the, not the church conference stuff. The little bulletin with the outline. Dink, see, Dink's got one. Hold it up, Dink, where they can see that. Yeah. Y'all need to pick those up when you come in. Those help you with outlines and those kind of things. Um, this morning, I uh, want to talk to you about five things. So you know it's Episcopalian message, not a Baptist. Baptists always have three things on their list, don't they? But there's five things that I want to just uh, talk to you heart to heart about today. My first opportunity to uh, bring in the new year with you. And so I uh, want to kind of give you a state of the union, the challenge, the opportunity uh, kind of segment. It's rare. I mean, one, one Sunday a year probably that we're not in some type of Bible study or exegetical study of God's word. And we're going to look at a couple of verses today as well. But Really, what I want to do today is to talk to you heart to heart, uh, transparent in a transparent way about kind of where our church is and some of the challenges and, again, some of the opportunities uh, that are in front of us. I think by sharing these five things, it'll kind of help us give some structure uh, uh, to kind of what I want to communicate to you, and hopefully it'll be very helpful to you uh, to kind of better understand uh, what's uh, coming in, in, in the year ahead. In, in a few minutes, we're going to have what we call a church conference. We don't have many of those at our church. Uh, we are a Baptist church, and so our congregation makes uh, big decisions. Uh, the pastor doesn't make those. The deacons don't make those. The congregation, if it's a big decision like hey, we're going to build a $10 million building. All in favor, we'll, we'll all vote on something like that. If it's uh, to what vacuum cleaner to buy, they actually trust the pastors to make those kind of decisions. But uh, today we have a couple of big decisions that we need to make. One of those is the annual budget. That's our spending plan. Uh, so we'll be doing that at, kind of toward the end of our service. And the other thing is that there's a white sheet with some names of committee on committees uh, that we'll be hearing recommendation from, from our, from our committee on committees that say, we need these people to serve in these places, so we need your approval or your consideration of that today. So we'll do that, but uh, in a few minutes, we will be talking about that budget. And so uh, I, I think it's important for me to kind of help you better understand our budget. Uh, so let's start off, number one, by jotting this down in 2022. Uh, just made this observation for you. 2022 represents a, the great opportunity to prioritize the general budget. Um, as I was sharing with our worshipers in the first hour, we are a multi-generational church. You've got to understand that if you come across most people age 60, 65 and up, and we have a big up. I, I was looking when I was speaking this morning, I, I, you know, you think I'm thinking about what I'm communicating. This is all, all pre-recorded. I'm actually thinking about different things as I'm looking at you and communicating. And today I was counting how many people as I was speaking to them were over the age of 90. 
And I counted seven people in our congregation in the first hour that were over 90. But you got to understand that generation of people is what Tom Brokaw called the last great generation. Brokaw said, when that group dies, the group, the generation, the new group that just came into our labor force, Gen Z. Many of you popped up on your phone this week. Gen Z is now entering the labor force. They're 18, 19, 20, and 21-year-olds. But understand, as every one of those generations come through, those generations think differently. And so for our church, where we have these multi-staggered generations, we have one fund that pushes everything in our church. Uh, I don't want you to have to come to church and we're having brownies being sold out here so we can buy toilet paper. I, I don't want you to show up at the chili cook-off tonight and say, hey, if, if you're willing to give $10 uh, for uh, a new van, if, if, if you'll be willing to give $25 to the utility, to the electric bill, or the gas bill. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for indoor plumbing and bathrooms here at our church. Can I hear an amen to that? I'm thankful. And by the way, for bathrooms, you need paper, you need water. And I haven't noticed many of these bathrooms having windows in them. It's pretty nice to have some kind of light in there. Amen? And so our one fund, our general budget, pushes everything in our church. But you gotta understand the five generations out of six in our church, those five that are, that are not in our senior adult category, you've been programmed that one funds and uh, overhead is a bad thing. You are specific target givers. If I brought in a family in here today and said, hey, two blocks away from the church, their house burnt to the ground last night. And I, and I stand them up here in front of you our young adults would eat that up. I mean, you'd be digging for your swipe card out here. I mean, I mean, you'd find a way to give to that because most of the generations in our church family give to specific causes. Like most of you wouldn't get too excited about building a new church, but if I'd say, hey, will somebody step up and, and pay for 12 nursery doors, the half doors, man, our young adults, that'd light their fire. And so what I'm trying to communicate with you is one fund, the general budget, is not a bad thing. It is the engine that pushes everything down our tracks. It takes care of utilities. It takes care of the fact that if this building burns to the ground tonight, hey, we're going to have some capital coming our way. Hope it doesn't. Although that might be a thought, just joking, okay? Um, I've already been through one church fire. I don't want to go through another. And I didn't set it, by the way, okay? But understand that I just want to talk to you about that because we are about to present to you a $1,200,000 spending plan for this year. That not only takes care of staff, vehicles, facilities, it takes care of all of our programming. We don't want you to have to buy sunflower seeds and wrapping paper and brownies so the youth can go to camp. Those programs are fueled by that one fund. And so I want to encourage you. I wrote down our target amount is, if I've done my math correctly, $23,076 every single week. 
Now, for you that get that little bulletin, you look at the bottom. Uh, last week, you saw the offering in our church was 80, what, $81,000 in one week. This week, you're looking at a card that says, what, eight or $9,000 last week. And so you see what kind of roller coaster that we have in church life, feast and famine. And so I just want to encourage you, as you prioritize what to give to, I want to encourage you to, to give first and foremost to our general budget. That's got to be a priority. I know we've got campus development. We're, we're going to have to do that over and above. But we're not going to give to the building fund and rob our general operating budget because that impacts people, programs. It impacts everything that we do. That pushes the very missions and ministry of our church. So as we do that, I want to remind you the thing that your pastor is a huge, I speak about this a lot when we talk about giving, which you'll hear one time a year. And that is your giving is a matter of your heart. Uh, once in a while, I hear, I hear young couples say, man, I just wish we could give, but we're so much in debt. Let me tell you something. You'll give to what you want to give to. If you really want to support something, you can support it. Now realize, my 90s, 80s, 70s, and 60s, they've been trained to give. They were brought up with offering envelopes. That was their responsibility. Their church operating budget was everything to them. Many of those seniors, when they got paid, the first thing they did was pull out the cash off of that check, put it in a drawer, and Sunday morning, they're taking it to their local church. That's what they believe in. That's how they're reared. That's how they're raised. That's how they process. That's how they think. But again, the other five or six generations in our church, they don't think like that. Part of it's training, part of it's a change in culture. As we go deeper and deeper into the generations, we get further and further around from the support of God's kingdom and his work, and it gets to be more and more about ourselves. We're so fortunate here at Oakland Heights, especially among our young adults. I understand. I don't know what anybody gives. I'm being honest with you about that. I really don't. But what I understand is we have a number of strong young adult givers here that are committed to the Lord's work, not here at just Oakland Heights, but on even a broader basis of kingdom giving. But giving's about the heart. You'll never be a giver until you come to that place in your life that you acknowledge grace in your life. You see, as a believer in Christ, as a faithful follower of the Lord Jesus, I believe that God's responsible for everything. I believe my existence is God's work. I believe my salvation is God's work. I believe as I think about my life, my relationships, my salvation, the blessings, everything God allows me to have, I believe that that is an act of grace. He's given me those things. He's entrusted those things to me. You see, the person that had in their life that has not gotten there, they see the things they have as, hey, I've worked hard for this. This is mine. A believer that has acknowledged the true grace work of God, of the Lord Jesus in their life, they don't see what they have as it's all mine. They see themselves as being a conduit in which God is a channel of great blessings, not just for them, 
but for others that they come in contact with. The second greatest compliment I've ever had in my ministry, the first one came from a guy in New Mexico that looked at me and said, let me tell you, I've got a new name for you, Pastor Cook. You're now being called by me, real deal. I mean, if you're off the platform, you're the same way as on the platform. I think that's the greatest compliment I've ever received. But I received another one this week. I, I would rank it as number two. Don't, I don't get many compliments, especially not from my wife, amen? But I had a gentleman look at me and said, man, you know, one of the things I'm learning more and more about you and Becky Cook is y'all are always, what's part of your life is you're giving to others. You always have a project. You're always helping this young man get to college or this young man in ministry or this couple do that. You know, I really hadn't stopped to think about it, but that's just a part of who we are. And it's because Becky and I are at the place in our lives that we have acknowledged the grace component. When you get there, something's going to happen naturally. You're not just going to be able to accept and better understand God's grace. All of a sudden, you're going to transition to what we call expressing your gratitude. It will come naturally. Because of all that God's given you, little, some, much, whatever it is, you will naturally want to share that with others to the point then as you bless others, you're going to back up and say, hey, that really didn't cost me anything. It was like, man, what a blessing that was. And then finally, you'll see the third and final element of that is demonstrating generosity will just come again as an offshoot to that incredible grace. Well, enough of that. Number one, the thing I want to communicate to you, we've got to really prioritize our general budget. We're thankful for gifts when you say, I want to give this money, but I want to give it for this purpose. Man, we'll take that, we'll use that, we'll honor exactly what you say. But in most cases, the way you can help your local church is give to the general one fund, the unified operating budget. That's what will help us. And again, that's what pushes the train down the track of ministry. Number two, jot this down. I better speed up, hadn't I? 2022, number two, presents the, pros- the prospect of progress on our new campus. This is gonna be a great year of progress. Put these months in your mind, January, February, March, April. The first four months of this year, two very important things are gonna happen. The first thing that's gonna happen is in the next 12 weeks, you're gonna be inundated with information. We are gonna start training you on what the new campus is, what its purpose is, what it's gonna look like, what, what type of ministries it's gonna serve. And education in this culture takes weeks to fully accomplish because there's multiple layers of commitment and touch points in our congregation. Let me give you an example. You're here second week in January at our 1031 service here at the center. You look around, most people in this room are pretty committed to this ministry. I, man, in two or three weeks, we could educate you on everything about the building and we're ready to move on. But what about those people that are only watching by telecast? What about those people that aren't watching that are inactive because of pandemic? What about what we call fringe members? They, for whatever reason, have become disconnected with our body. Let me tell you something, communicating to them is much more difficult. 
One of our young adults said today, I'll just put it on the website. Everybody looks at the website. I said, that's interesting. The last time we checked, 13% of our church population doesn't even own a computer. Do you want to go into a major expansion with this 87% of the team? I don't. So we'll take four full months and we'll prepare everybody regardless of where they are on the peripheral or at the core, they'll all be trained. They'll know what we're doing and why. Will all agree with it? Absolutely not. They're Baptists, but they will be educated. We will let them know exactly what's going on. The other thing, I told you two things are gonna happen January to April. The other thing is your building committee is gonna tighten up exactly what we're gonna build, what we're gonna propose to build, and what it's gonna cost. By April, you're gonna have that kind of information in front of you. Now, on the screen behind me, there's a little graphic that really comes into play here. We as a church have made a commitment about debt. Our church is not opposed to borrowing money. What we're opposed to is long-term sustained debt. Some of you went and bought a house, and I'm not speaking against this, I'm just saying. Some people go buy a house and they finance it for 30 years. And they, by law, have to give you an interest chart. And what you're gonna see is you're not gonna pay the principal of your house if you wait for 30 years to pay that for the house. You're gonna pay for the house almost three times. And so as a body of Christ, we've made the commitment to say, look, we may have to borrow for a short time, but we don't want a 30 year, 25 year and all that kind of stuff. Hey, in, in two, three, four years, we wanna be back debt free like we are now. And so in order to do that, there's two ways that we know we're gonna pay for this facility. One of them is we're gonna to have to have multiple campaigns, maybe three, maybe six years. We may have to have two back-to-back -back campaigns. Maybe one campaign will be more than enough. We'll find that out in April. But the other thing that's going on is this church is on the market. If this church sells for 80% of what it's appraised for, then that will take care of about a little more than a half of what the new campus costs. We will liquidate this campus, we'll move to that new campus, and that property, that asset, will pay for half of it. We're gonna have to pay for basically the other half of it. Our resources, our giving will have to do that. Now those percentages may change. We may get more for this facility. We may say, whoo, whoever saw that coming? Or we may say, uh-oh, man, we, the offers that we're getting are not near what we had hoped for. But right now, that's our best projection. It's close to 50-50, but probably the property will carry about 55% of the need for that new campus. So item two, there'll be some progress that'll be going on. Jot down number three. Number three, the year 2022 is gonna provide an opportunity to encourage our congregation to faithfully attend services and activities in person. We have way too many people that two years ago were here mostly every Sunday that are not here with us now. And hey, 
we always have people, there's always in every church some people that are disgruntled, upset, they leave, whatever. We had a tidal wave of those right off the bat when I came. I'm talking about the people that settled in after about three year period, they were here every week and all of a sudden something about the pandemic frightened them. And they still haven't reconnected. And that's what churches across America are struggling with. How do we get those people back? And so what we're going to do is the next six weeks, we're going to target those families and we're going to send people out to them and we're going to safely make contact with them and do all that we can to try to encourage them to come back in person. I'm telling you, I'm thankful for the video component, but it's not like being there. Say amen because you're here. I mean, we need that, that incredible koinonia the Greek concept out of Acts 2 that speaks to the word in English, fellowship. How you love on people and people love on you. How you care for people through adversity and difficulty. How you encourage one another. I mean, it's that incredible, tangible of fellowship that we're being starved. And so each week we look around and say, hey, Miss so-and-so's still not back. Mr. So-and-so's still not back. Hey, those two youth are still not back. And much of it, when you speak to them, they're not upset. It's just, yeah, you know, we got this new variant. Hey, uh, I don't like to wear masks. Church is going to be, you know, for a while people wouldn't come. We're not wearing a mask, you know? I mean, you, you know because you interact with the same people I do for the most part. We've got people all over the world. People think that this whole pandemic is a joke. And others that have lost family members that say, hey, you think that's a joke that my granddad died? This is a very serious thing. And so you got these two extremes. The Public Religious Research Institute has become a group of people out of Montana that have led the way over the last two years at researching by doing survey work of all different denominations about how the pandemic is impacting the Baptist church, the Methodist church, the Catholic church, the Episcopalian church, and the list goes on and on. They survey 5,000 people at a time across our nation, across denominational line, in what they call as Pew Surveys. And the newest information has come out We've learned that about one-third of everybody that's staying home is not watching online. That tells us that it's worse than we thought. People have really, that group that's missing that we're trying to hunt and find and love and contact, they're more disconnected than we thought. The other thing they just released is that 81% of churchgoers use a different standard when it comes to gatherings of 10 people or more than they do with the standard of going to church. Let me explain. There are many people, eight out of 10, a little over eight out of 10, that say, you know what? I think it's safe enough for me to go and get caged up with 20 other people getting my nails done. But I better not go to church. I could get the COVID up there. Or you'll go out here to the Lobo basketball game, or in our case, whoa, the Pine Tree Pirate basketball game, and there's 438 people caged up in the gym. People are standing up, whoa, 
bleeding and spitting on everybody, waving pom-poms and yelling and just throwing up their arms and slobbering all over everybody, touching things, concession stand, bathrooms, faucets. Hey, no problem there. But on Sunday morning, hey, 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 I could get the COVID up there at church. 81%. The 5,000 people sampled in every state in America said, to be transparent, we don't use the same standard when it comes to church. I was sharing for Josh Thomas, about three or four weeks from now, they're about to come out. They think there's a link to depression and the lack of church attendance to the pandemic and people not singing. They think much of the depression that people are experiencing is because as people stop going to church, they're not singing anymore. And you know, I start thinking, the only time I ever sing during the week, I mean, I know some of you sing in the shower, praise the Lord, some of you stay in the shower when you sing. Some of you sing in your car when nobody's listening to the radio, not me. I'm not doing any singing. But I'll tell you this, I'll do a little singing on Sunday morning. But you know, so many people, that's the only time that you ever sing is during the time that you worship the Lord. So I'm anxious to hear about that report. So number three, 2022, the next six weeks, we are developing a list of people that we're really missing. And we're gonna be underway to go visit them. Number four, jot it down. 2022, we'll have new doors that are gonna open in what we're calling new ministry opportunities. Let me speak about the first one of those. Dr. Castro sits right over here in this service. He's on your far right, on my far left. Wave your hand, Dr. Castro, where they can see you. He's hiding behind that mask over there. Now, um, Dr. Castro started a, a great work here in Oakland Heights several years ago, and, and uh, we're excited because God has laid on his heart and your pastor's heart for us to start in this year, Lord willing, a Spanish-speaking service. And the reason that's so exciting to me is to hear the heart of Dr. Castro into who we're targeting. In that first work that Oakland Hypes helped him support and sponsor, the goal was to get new immigrants, if you will, new Spanish-speaking people that are just coming into American culture. Maybe the first 18, 24, maybe the first three months that they lived in America, here they are in the Longview, Texas area, can't speak English, don't know anything about banking, trying to figure out citizenship, trying to find a job, trying to find connection, and the church uh, and, and Dr. Castro's ministry, they did a great job. And in 36 months, the goal was to get that congregation to their own place, self-sufficient, and they were able to achieve that. Many people came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. You're gonna hear from him directly here in a few weeks about his vision and about how this work is progressing. But at nine o'clock or thereabout, we're gonna try to have the Spanish-speaking service here. But that's not the target group this time. The group now that we feel like is really being missed in, in, in culture, in our culture, is the group that's been here 5, 10, 15 years. Mom and dad, grandparents still speak overwhelmingly Spanish as their first language. doesn't mean they can't understand any English. It just, it just means that they're still more fluent and more comfortable when it comes to worship with Spanish speaking, but not their children. El Nino's. No, 
they can speak English. They go to school in American schools. They've been here for years. So those students, their students, will be assimilated into our student ministry, into our children's ministry, into our nurseries. But the adults will have a special Spanish-speaking service just for them. And then they'll go to a primarily Spanish-speaking small group following that. And I'm telling you, that's an incredible target because many, many people in our community just have not connected with the church. They want their children to be assimilated in Anglo culture, in a church that's driven by Anglos. And so we're not trying to start another self-sufficient church. We're trying to offer expanded ministry here for a Spanish-speaking need in our community. Say amen to that. And so I'm excited about that. The second great ministry opportunity is Queen for a Day. We have located many, many ladies in our community that are coming out of a very hostile, tough background. The Jesus Burger, Al Johnson, Highway 80 Rescue Mission, really two or three different other organizations, some Planned Parenthood groups here in our community are helping us build a list of these ladies that may be homeless, they may be in a working poor situation, many of them are in an abusive situation or just coming out of an abusive situation. Some of them are coming out of an addiction situation and they're on the road to recovery and they need that extra element in their life and we're gonna adopt them for a day this fall. And we are gonna love on them, encourage them. We've got the whole day planned with impacting heart-changing touches. For many of them, it's been a long time since they had anything nice to wear. For many of them, just someone to tell them and to show them that your life has value. You matter. Every day as you're grinding away, every day as you're trying to put your life back together, we're going to be pairing you with a lady from our church that's going to be your new prayer warrior. And so we're really excited this fall for that new ministry opportunity. We're just going to call it Queen for a day. More information on that. Number five, write this down and we'll finish. I want to share with you one more important thing about 2022. Number five, 2022 will be the year that we focus on consistency. We are going to focus our churches on consistency. We will have the big word consistency up in our worship venues. And each month, our leadership team is going to encourage you to be more consistent in a particular area of your life. If statistics are true, and I don't know where they are, but statistics tell us less than two out of 10 believers faithfully pray six days a week. Think about that. That's giving you one day off. Six days a week, less than two out of 10 faithful believers really spend time in quality prayer. In fact, statistics are even less than that for those that have a daily quiet time with the Lord and read God's word. We've got to be more consistent in those areas. 
we still have an overwhelming amount of people in our fellowship that have never shared the gospel with anyone. A number of our students have not had the opportunity. Maybe they haven't been to Brazil. Maybe they haven't had the boldness yet to be in a high school situation, in a cafeteria, on a bus ride home from an athletic event, at a sleepover, where they really say, hey, let me talk to you about something that's really important in my life, and I think it can make the world a difference in your life. We are falling far short of being consistent in evangelism, multiplication, discipling others. And the list goes on and on and on. You know, the dictionary says that consistency is to conform the application of something. In other words, in simple language, consistency is doing something over and over and over again. And, you know, we live in a world that's non-committal. In fact, perseverance is such a rare attribute of anybody that we know. I mean, at the first little feeling of pain, we've got to go do something. Pain's just a terrible thing in our lives. I mean, you think about a job. We live in a culture that if someone's job becomes difficult, someone's job becomes boring, somebody's job becomes, well, they're just not that interested in it anymore. I mean, there's no thought of really sticking to it because I've made a commitment. The first thing we think is, well, I'll just get a new job. Do you know that in the next 18 months, we are expecting in America the divorce rate for the first time ever in American history to go over 60% of first-time marriages failing. I remember in ministry when we couldn't believe when it got to 50%, half of all first marriages are failing in America. Can you believe that? We're almost at, we're at 58% and some change now because that's how we think. Our marriage is tough. Our marriage has challenges. Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll just get another man. I'll just get another woman. I'll pay the attorney the $2,000 just to get out of the thing. We live in a non-committal world. We don't commit to things. And so guess what's happened? That attitude and that culture has bled over into our churches. That's the attitude we, we battle in our student ministry. That's the attitude we battle in our young adult ministry. Really being committed to something. You see, now in church life, if the church is going through difficult days, if, if the church is about to do anything, it's going to cost me something. Or, hey, if the church is at the point that, you, you know what, there's any conflict, anybody's maybe mad, anybody's hurt my feelings, I'll just get another one. I mean, look at them. There's churches everywhere. And I'm just wondering... Man, I'm wondering, what happened to the day when, man, the Lord sent us to a church and the selecting of a church was really more about what we could do for the ministry than about what the church was going to do for us. A day and time that pastors may come and go, but hey, this is our church. We've linked up to the mission. And you can count on us. 
And if we have a difficulty and there's a challenge, there's a little friction, you know what we're going to do? We're going to open up God's word and the word shows us how to work out those conflicts. The word tells us exactly how to work those out. And the answer is not break and run. But I don't fault culture. I fault the evil one. One of his greatest strategies at tearing down kingdom work. Don't commit to anything. You won't get hurt that way. I was sharing with our staff at the very first staff meeting of this year about a young man that had incredible consistency. His name was Daniel. You know, Daniel, the Bible says, prayed three times every single day. He didn't care what happened. He didn't care where the king of all kings summoned him. He didn't care if a governor was in charge. He didn't care if military minds came against him. Hey, that young man, wherever he was, was going to start praying three times a day. In prison, he'd pray three times a day. On the side of a road, hey, I'm committed to my Lord. I'm consistent in my prayer life, and you will not shake me. I will not falter. And you know the amazing thing in our Bible, Daniel chapter 6 and verse 16, I want to read that verse to you in two different translations. In Daniel 6, 16, the NIV says, so the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and they threw him into the lion's den. Listen. And the king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. You know, some interpreters felt like maybe the king was making fun of him. Like, you, dude, you're about to be burned to a crisp in that lion's den. Let's just see how big your God is now. But you know what? The King James didn't translate it, did, did not have that feeling. In fact, let me read to you Daniel 6, 16 in the King James. Then the king commanded and they brought Daniel and they cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, thy God whom thou servest, continually he will deliver you. Even a pagan king recognized the value. A man that did not even believe in Jehovah God, he recognized the value in the consistency and the perseverance and the commitment of a young man by the name of Daniel. I want to lead us in a time of prayer about 2022. Exciting days. New ministries. New challenges. I know that I'm fighting and trying to encourage you to swim upstream, different and counterproductive, to you will, if you will, to the cultural trends. I'm just crazy enough our leadership team is just crazy enough to believe that the Holy Spirit of God is more than enough to lead us in this challenge. Would you pray with me this morning? And as you bow your heads, I know this morning that some of you have come to this place and you're nursing some wounds. Some of you have been hurt in some church situation. Some of you have been offended by by someone or something and, and, 
and, and you haven't been able to get over that heartache, some of you have, are walking through some failure in your life. Every time, not intentional, that the pastor even mentions divorce, it's kind of like that sting and that pain. And you may think today that, hey, he was, just, he was saying that to me. I don't even know who's been divorced in here. I'm just telling you the trends. But it's out of that conviction that that's how it makes you feel. And it's not even intentional. So as we pray today, I know that adversity, failure, heartache, I just want you to be reminded they carry a seed of equal or greater benefit in your life as well. What I'm speaking of as we pray today is our God can turn those wounds into wisdom. Some of you today really listened to what I said. Some took me out. Some were somewhere else. I can see that. After 34 years of ministry and speaking to groups just like this one, I can tell each one of you whether you listened and tuned in or not. But there were a few of you today that were perceptive enough, you had a sense that right now, this is one of those time segments when we have the opportunity, we as a church are about to influence the future. Just like 65 years ago, 103 people gathered in an elementary just a few blocks from here called Bramlett Elementary School and said, you know, God, if you would allow us, there's only about 100 of us here, but we would love to build a little chapel on a farm out here on what we know now as Judson Road and Eden Drive. Just a few classrooms. We can't build enough for everybody, but if we, we think that over the next two years, we can, we can have enough money out of these hundred people to build just a small chapel in a brand new church called Oakland Heights Baptist Church. And now right at 65 years later, a similar number of people is sitting in a room looking at a North Longview farm right in the middle of the apex that the Chamber of Commerce has said in Longview, that's the Golden Triangle. It's the fastest going corridor out Highway 259 of the whole growing segment of Longview, Texas. And Oakland Heights Baptist Church now has a little over 20 acres right in the tip of that Golden Triangle. And here we are again praying about the future. Some of you are here this morning and you sense that we are in a segment of time that we're about to have the opportunity to influence the future. Lord, we thank you for these moments that we've had together just looking ahead at the year 2022. Exciting days, challenging days. And Father, along with that excitement, we can sense now this is not gonna be for the timid, the weak of heart, that this is gonna be a challenge of all challenges. It's gonna take sacrifice from our entire body. It's gonna take sacrifice to meet this budget. It's gonna take sacrifice to build a new facility. It's gonna take sacrifice to start a, a new Spanish service. It's gonna take a, a huge sacrifice for uh, for a church family to invest in what some would say, oh man, we, 
Man, those ladies are never going to give any money to the church. Those ladies are never going to do it. I mean, why would we? And Father, we know as Christ followers, if there's anything that you emulated, that you taught us, it was that all people matter. So Father, I thank you for a church fellowship that's willing to invest in every heart and soul, Spanish speaking, English speaking, those that come from broken backgrounds, men, women, students. And Father, as we think about these exciting days that lie before us, thank you for trusting us enough to let us have some influence over the future. Father, I pray for hearts today. Are there some that are here that need to really come to that place where they accept your grace? They'll never be generous people until they can experience all that you've done for them. You gave to us because you loved us. You gifted us with your spiritual gifts. You sent your son for our salvation. You nurture us in an ongoing relationship. And Father, there's so little that we can do for you that we know that the only reason that you invested in us in this, this way is because you really love us. And Father, when we're willing to accept that love through your son, the Lord Jesus, we can begin a whole new life in Christ. Father, thank you for a new year, a new start. And these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.